0: everybody welcome back to this is x i'm nico you can find me at nico action n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n on twitter and instagram
1: and i'm arturo that's mr toy box on twitter and instagram
2: hey it's evelyn the comic canary you can find me at comic underscore canary at twitter and instagram
3: and i'm jonah and you can follow me over on twitter and instagram at peak jonah and we hope you survive this experience just like the love between apocalypse and genesis because they're star-crossed lovers
0: Well, they're cross, that's for sure. Man, I can't wait to jump into Genesis. I cannot wait to get there and dive deep because today we're taking a look at Stasis as well as X-Men 14. These two books, to me, along with X-Men 13, kind of read like one big 80-pager. So before we even jump in to X-Men 14 and Stasis, I just want to double-check with everybody. I know everybody had strong opinions on Apocalypse and his backstory and gaining his swords, but now that Apocalypse has Scarab, and we're here at stasis what's supposed to be like a standstill moment right stasis is about balance does anybody feel any kind of balance at the moment going into
4: this
1: not even remotely
4: (laughs)
0: in
3: a
2: weird way yes
1: i think there
3: is a lot of unrest but things feel oddly quiet it's the quiet before the storm
1: i just i just want to say like i i'm so impressed with how much content they packed into this and it was such a such a great payoff to see these different representatives from these different lands that we haven't really seen anything outside of those white pages and and again you know i'm a big proponent of the white pages i think this is a perfect example where when we first read about blightspoke spoke, and the hot hive, and you know it was just you had to kind of create in your mind what that looked like, right? You had to use your imagination. And seeing these characters now on the page is just—it's a great example of how the white pages can pay off and kind of add like an interactive element to to this story. My favorite part of this might have been the beginning. I'm a sucker for a parliament and a parley and emissaries and regents. And, you know, a Senate vote, like, give me that shit in my veins.
0: Well, before we can even get into that, I actually want to cover something that comes before all of that. One of the things that I thought was so significant to this entire situation is the initial quote on that first page. I pull their strings and they dance. The question is, when I cut their strings, will they still? As a quote from Saturnine. Now, here's one of the things that I've very much been afflicted with going into this major event event right i feel like a lot of stuff has been slowed down so we can get deep looks into all of these unique characters but in a lot of ways it's meant that we've kind of lost the plot right this is meant to be a contest this is a big battle now say what you will about contest of champions from 1982 which i say some pretty negative things to be honest the reality of it is it was three issues that packed in all of those fights this is supposed to be a contest and we've spent the first as we know now through marauders 14 like 13 issues getting ready for the fight we not at the actual Battle of Swords yet, which leaves me wondering is Saturnine aware that there is so much more at play here? We keep treating her as the person in charge, but let's not forget, Apocalypse has his own plans Annihilation has their own plans and then underneath it all, Moira Jamie, who created his own Captain Britain Corps, and Genesis have their own plans I can't help but think Saturnine is playing a bigger board than she is prepared to handle, even in all of her Omniversal Majestrics
2: i would definitely agree something that i've noticed throughout the last couple chapters and uh, books here is that she's especially with excalibur i noticed that she really is kind of grasping here she's not in complete control and even though she's putting on this air of being in complete control i think she knows that she's not so she's going to try to manipulate the situation for as long as she can.
1: well that That's that's like part of her charm, right? Like, Saturnine is a boss, and even if she's not in control, she's certainly not going to let on that she's not in control. You know what I mean? Like, whatever happy accidents or whatever unexpected twist this contest takes, I have a feeling you're going to see Saturnine being like, yeah, no kidding. I knew that.
0: And, you know, we saw her embarrassed at the hands of Brian, Betsy, and Jamie. You know, there's something so interesting about three siblings working together to pull some sort of fuck heist. Like, I don't know what else you even call it, but, like, that was literally three siblings. Like, how can we work together to dick-trick this woman out of her sword?
1: The
5: honey And friend.
0: Yeah, but the siblings part is what kind of gets me. I mean, who do they think they are? The Maximoffs or the Fenris twins? So... <laughs> <laughs> Saturnine is not the only person manipulating this board right now, and that has certainly not escaped my notice. Jonah, I know you're kind of coming to this, like, with such a spotty history on X-Men, but this is certainly not the first major contest between the characters you've read. How is this shaping up for you, knowing that you've spent 13 issues just gathering the swords?
3: Well, I am no stranger to a contest of champions, if you will. This isn't very much different. I do appreciate that compared to past larger than life crossovers and big event titles this has a lot more backstory nuance and information to give us an idea of what exactly is going on not this all-powerful being decided that he wants to play a game to see who was better right or wrong and then fucks off and then you know i don't know galactus dies something along those lines i'm pretty sure that's what happened
5: well not
0: quite, but I like the interpretation.
3: Um, but here it's really interesting to see so much setup and so much time. And I've been saying the past few episodes, I think there have been places where they could have done more setup and there's places where they could have reduced it a little bit like Arturo keeps bringing up the white pages I would have appreciated just a white page of the Krakoan swords just to keep track of everything I like I like looking at everyone's mutant powers so like having an uh, like that as a reference for someone who is just jumping onto X-Men now not to say that I am but someone who is can help bridge that gap of information that they're missing so they can fully understand who these characters are and I want to make a point to echo something that Nico said that Saturnine has other tricks up her sleeve I I think that's true for everybody. There's a lot going on behind the scenes and there's, a really good anime that I like on Netflix called Kage Garuri and it's about gambling and the thing about it is everybody cheats and it's how do how does the main character discover that cheat and use it against them it's something along those lines and I'm very fascinated to see what everybody has in store to tip this into their favor because as far, as far as we know right now the Hellions team is still en route to try to steal the swords of Arako
1: well I thought the doomed quest right? I mean, I think that's that's like a fun side story. But, you know, I think we're all on the record as not having a lot of faith that that was going to work.
0: And, you know, I love that you guys are bringing up how many players there are and how it might be harder for new readers. I want to run through a couple of these worlds with you guys, as Arturo pointed out how much he loved like the convocation of it all at the beginning. And just to kind of chime in with how new some of these worlds are, the crooked market of Mad Jim Jaspers has seen a few appearances in the pages of X of Swords. We also have the Kingdom of Sevelith. That's another world that's pretty new to us. However, I don't know if anybody is familiar with the creatures inhabiting the Infuri, the Everforge. Those would be Captain Britain and Mad Jim Jasper's ultimate nemesis, the Fury. Now, one of the things that I have found very confusing about this is Saturnine is, like, actually omnipotent. Like, she waves her hands and realities are destroyed. And she waves her hands and realities are born. And she waves her hands and reality reshapes. So, with that level of power that... Saturnine is playing a game has me kind of confused, but what I certainly notice is the Furies on that page trace back to Teenie Howard's favorite run to get Captain Britain information from, the Alan Moore, Alan Davis. Additionally, we've seen a ton of the floating kingdom of Roma Regina and the Holy Republic of the Fae, but it is of significant note that we actually see Merlin, who famously was the champion of Otherworld, so they're trying to make it special for old readers but still keep it very accessible for new readers.
1: I did not know that the characters from The Infury had ever been seen before. I was just pleasantly surprised to see that that world looked so different from anything I was expecting. Like, it looked very futuristic and very, you know, like an industrial thing. And I guess it, kind of when I read it, I imagined it to look a lot more like the hellscape that Logan went uh, to get his Muramasa blade. So just that it was different struck me, and I love that. Uh, but yeah, hearing that, that it's like a callback to Alan Moore and yeah... I mean, that's amazing.
0: It is specifically the only villain that Captain Britain could not defeat, and the only way he was able to defeat it was to pit it against his other undefeatable villain, Mad Jim Jaspers. And the two of them fell for eternity in an ever-increasing void. However, in the pages of X-Men Die by the Sword, a Captain Britain and Betsy-led Exiles new Excalibur crossover, Mad Jim Jaspers, Merlin, Otherworld, all of these characters, all of this very recently came into existence a giant reality-altering war just before Secret Wars. So I'm very fascinated to know how this is all going to shape out with the continuity of Everworld. Whoa. That is a K.A. Applegate book series from my childhood with the continuity of Otherworld as well as the sort of shifting landscape that Hickman has been using since Secret Wars. I don't know if anybody else here read Secret Wars or was it just me?
2: I did read Secret Wars. I totally agree with you. I'm so curious how this is going to affect the continuity of the... Greater aspect of the Marvel Universe as a whole.
0: Now, did you read the pages of Secret Wars where Doom had his great leaders and all of the different, everybody came together and they talked about how they were going to manage the map and it actually had Jamie Braddock in it? And the reason I bring it up is because it feels very similar to some of the scenes here as well. So I wonder how like Secret Wars this is as well.
2: Now that you bring it up, I definitely see it. I totally forgot about it, but I would agree that there's a lot of Parallels
0: so Arturo you pretty jazzed about a number of these characters and I would love to know which characters in this initial calling together got you the most
1: gotten got I think my account is officially a Sheriff Gia Whitechapel stand yes, account yes. yes please her and her little horde of you know merry men and she looks like she has a very good dog that I would pet I absolutely am very very excited to learn more of, of the little blight spoke cast of characters I want to know more about Mercator I'm as annoyed as Saturnine is by their silence. It's impossible to to look at X of Swords or Ten of Swords without considering how much Tinny has had a hand in shaping this. And I, So I'm constantly thinking about Excalibur, right? And one of my big grievances early on with Excalibur was how flat and boring uh, Morgan Le Fay felt and how Avalon was just like, okay, so she's a queen and she's a witch and she's got these knights and that's all there is to it. That seems so boring to me. Now reading this it's like yes this is what I want I want all I want to learn about all these little mini bosses I want factions and and treaties and tension and border disputes like this is this is them doing the most they can do with this kind of story like this is so different from anything that we've ever read in the pages of X-Men I would say and I just like that they're not half-assing it at all you know it's not just here are the good guys and here are the bad guys and now we're going to smash all our toys together and see who wins it's there's so much more to it
0: and you know I love that you brought up the Mercator because I feel the need to jump in really quick for those who aren't familiar there is a character from roughly 2004 kind of one of my um, high note high points of the uh, kind of like new X-Men era where it rolled over into the Astonishing Era was something I really enjoyed there was a character named Mr. M whose full name was Absalon Zebedarn Mercator and he was essentially a react Alterer his abilities were a psionic manipulation of energy and matter on a subatomic level energy projection telekinesis, and telepathy. And he was quite truly labeled an Omega level mute in the House of M timeline. He also was a huge deal in that universe as well. He is a significantly powerful character who sort of fell off the map. Uh, Arturo like, like a lot like you were saying, Evan Sabaner did, where it's just like, "Where the fuck are you?" And Mister M is rumored by Jordan White to be the character that is running the Mercator. Same last name, same idea. So this is another Jamie Braddock level, reality-altering mutant running around Otherworld, pulling together this mystery.
1: Well, and I think that's Otherworlds is a perfect place to stick all of our reality-warping mutants, to be honest, you know, because it, it just it's a more playful landscape. Like, I, I buy that power more in Otherworld. I'm willing, my, my disbelief is suspended when we're in Otherworlds, you know?
0: Yeah, and friend of the pod, Tori Sheehan, who is an incredibly talented artist, you should check out her work. She works on a comic book called Capes and Boots, and all-women-of-color team running a news station, and it's amazing. Uh, she sent me this meme that's going around. It's, which team of women would win? And it's five classic X women It's Psylocke, Storm, Rogue, Kitty, and Jean. Then it's five DC women. It's Power Girl, Mary Marvel, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and Donna Troy. And then the bottom rung is Carol as Binary, Tigra, Wasp, Wanda, and Black Widow. And it says, who wins and why? And I was like, okay, this is too difficult because is gene the phoenix june and does rogue have carol powers and is it psylocke or is it kwannon and where is storm right now in her personal journey and is it silver age dc or is it golden age or modern age dc and if we're talking wanda how powerful a Wanda is it? And then I said, I mean, at the end of the day, the fifteen of them would realize there was no reason to be fighting and they'd kick the ass of whatever man did this to them. But in that moment, there's just this like there's this thing where it's hard to find somebody who's truly a challenge for Gene. It's hard to find someone that's truly a challenge for Wanda. But if you send this shit to other world, it totally works. There's no question that somebody as powerful as them would be there. Although I do want to know who do you guys think would win? The X Men, the DC women, or the Avengers women?
2: Okay, so here is a, a flaw that I have found. I think whoever made the DC team, like they didn't pick the right people. I don't think the DC women have a chance purely because they are all so similar in power. Yeah, that was that...
0: my argument. Yep, that had been my argument. That's why it needed to be classic. Yep, I'm totally with you. Okay, please keep going. Exactly.
2: Because, like, <laughs> because, like the DC women, like, all these women, like, yes, they are amazing. Crazy great women, but they all have just such similar powers. And while they are so intelligent, I feel that if you can figure out how to beat one of them, you can beat all of them. And that to me is like the biggest flaw with the DC team. Like, that is not the team I would pick. Like, it would be so hard to pick between which one I would keep because they are, again, they are just such great, amazing women, but the other teams have such a diverse team and such a diverse power levels and types of powers that i would want to see like where's zatanna in all this cruises yes where's
3: raven where's starfire
2: exactly like give me a i mean they t- they picked a-listers which again there's nothing wrong with the a-listers but, like give me a more diverse sorry i'm a huge dc like fangirl oh,
0: job, so... that. to bring this to you guys
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm such a dc fangirl it's 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 sad, but it's, oh, there's just so many other options that would be better for a actual contest in this way that I feel like the DC girls, they could definitely kick some major ass. But I don't know if they would be enough for these other GGs.
1: So, I mean, I'm biased and I definitely, you know, I, I root for the X-Men or the X-Women in this case. And, uh, and I guess that would be kind of who I'm, I'm rooting for in this contest. But there's a thing about Wonder Woman specifically where she's on a pedestal. She's this, a paragon of a character, right? So on some level, I feel like at the end of the day, the last woman standing, if it was just a big free-for-all, would be Wonder Woman. And it's not because I'm a big Wonder Woman stan or anything, but she just holds a different place, I think in cultural aspect. Wonder Woman's just on another level. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I think Wonder Woman might be the one that wins, but I think that's just because of her her history as a character, more so than any of her like superpowers or attributes.
0: Jonah, what do you think? Which which team of ladies do because I mean, I I do give it to Jean with the Phoenix Force. Otherwise I give it to Wanda with Chaos Magic. Otherwise I give it to Wonder Woman. Because she just can't die. Otherwise I give it to Carol because she just can't die.
3: <laughs> okay, well here's the thing though. The X-women have rogue, and if rogue is touching somebody for long enough, they're just gonna die. Mm-hmm. Like she <laughs> <laughs> So and a lot of the DC women have costumes with a lot of exposed skin. You're I'm just saying day age. In COVID times, <laughs>
1: All of a sudden all I want is to see Iska fight Wonder Woman.
3: I'm yes, I'd have to agree with I just wanna echo what you said, Nico, that it's really hard to compare people like that for uh, against one another because it's what where where in their timelines are you putting them because so many characters are going to have fluctuating power levels. I also agree with Evelyn that they didn't choose the DC women the best. There were other character. There are plenty of other characters, I think, that could have helped diversify that power set so they're not all, you know, I have flight and I'm strong because like, uh, that's not fair when you have when you're looking at like the Avengers and the one calls it are they the X Women, yeah. The podcast I'm on, I completely forgot who they are. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I think it, it would come down to the Avengers versus the X Women, only because I think that even if Wonder Woman is on the pedestal that she is, I think eventually they would have to tire her out if the rest of her team can't match what Wonder Woman can do. I would have a better answer if the DC the DC team was stronger.
0: Okay, side so can we talk about how perfect everything is when Iska is in that shade of red? That <sighs> perfect shade of filtered red that makes it look like a fucking paul pope comic it is so good sorry
1: well like literally every single every single character that and it's just each one got like what one page one page of pog one page of bay And I'm just so obsessed. I love how rich and and deep these characters are. And yeah, Iska, Iska only had one page and she didn't say one word. She just poured herself a drink and cheers and she's in it. And yeah, she's just perfect.
0: And I want to bring us to page 12 of the digital edition. I can't quite tell you what it is in the physical, but I know it's 12 in the digital. And there's that moment of reflection where all of the champions of... Berkoa are standing in the reflection of the champions of Araka. And we know that that's not the lineups. We're under the impression that it's going to be Iliana versus Pog. But Pog's giant countenance is sort of casting a reflective shadow of Apocalypse. And we see Annihilation's shadow cast Gorgon. And I bring this up because we still don't know who some of these fights are. We still don't know who some of these characters are meant to be reflected, uh, reflective versions of or counterparts to, but like we're all getting so excited and attaching so much to these characters iska barely speaks and we're obsessed with her pog is the i mean pog is really dumb pog is that guy that you would think was really hot at the skate park and then he starts talking and you're like i'm over it unless he keeps his mouth shut and his shirt off and like you get it really quickly there but we've attached so much to so many of these characters like i know that i can't stop seeing parallels between the white sword and apocalypse Just visually, if nothing else, this idea of the guy who keeps bringing people back from the dead, I can't stop seeing it.
1: I have one note on the white sword. I feel like he would sound like Robert Baratheon for any of our Game of Thrones listeners out there, which I think is like everybody on the planet, but he just looks like that kind of character who he laughs and it's like a clap of thunder. You know, I I just, I love him.
0: So I want to know, who are you guys most excited from the Arakan sword bearers?
3: Bay. I need to know more about Bay. I need to know what is, what is the power of, what is it? The death note? (laughs) What does that mean? What does that mean, Marvel? Hold on, I have to double check. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's the funny that you
1: note. specify. It's funny that you specify the Arakan swords because even from the Arakan swords, there's Okarans, Arakans, and Amenthi. Right. So that's awesome too. It's not just here are all these characters. Even within this little coalition, there's factions and and differences.
0: And you know, it's those differences that I think also have created this sense of phenomenal lack of Parallel. You know, I'm so used to Marvel, no offense Marvel, but I'm just used to Marvel in DC giving me very, this guy's name is Wolverine and he has six claws. His new nemesis is Lemon Badger and Lemon Badger has five claws and Lemon Badger worked in the Great North Government Agency, not Canada. And like, I'm really used to these super on the nose matchups, but I think we can kind of agree that Red Root is nothing like Cypher.
1: Well, Red and Root like, just makes me think again and i've asked this on the pod before where is black tom in all of this because it seems like red root and i mean that just seems like such a matchup so i don't but yeah it's not a parallel he is he's definitely not just uh a rocco's cipher or she's not a Rocco's cipher. she is but she's a lot more than that
5: yeah she's
0: like immediately deft with a blade and that is also really significant to me because that deftness with a blade means that she's already Not the same sort of like shrug, but Jonah, to your point, I do need to mention Bay is a stupid kind of hot. Like Bay is actually too hot. Number one, I think Bay would be a phenomenal Yu-Gi-Oh duelist. I think Bay looks like they'd be right at home on the Avengers. I think Bay also looks like they could have been in a '90s um, Sentai. I think that Bay is one of the most unique and yet universal designs we've seen in a really long time. And I think that that's one of the things that's once again really helping. These characters don't feel like they look like each other, and to that point, neither do their goddamn swords.
2: I would agree with that. It's it's such a diverse like grouping, and I'm so happy it's not like an on the nose thing like I'm just I'm so curious about war like every little thing with war like intrigues me like she seems to be this she's a mother she has had loss and I'm very curious to see more about how she handles things she seems to be more of a technician and there really isn't a great counterpart with her or with death too it doesn't seem to be an on the nose thing and I'm just I'm fascinated by it
0: and you know I think it's the fact that war, death. We actually kind of recognize those names. We have a war, or have had a war. We have had many deaths. So, like, I find something about, like, the borrowed term. I mean, obviously, they're war and death. They're not exactly unusual terms. But I really like something about the way they, they compare. And, you know, Arturo, to your credit, I really hadn't thought about the fact that it's mutant from Okara, pure blood mutant reclaimed from Amonth, or a beast from the Amonth. Like, I really hadn't thought about how varied the champions of Arako are. But the thing that I can't stop staring at is that Annihilation's information is specifically removed. It doesn't say the same sort of hand wave that we get in fourteen of, oh, some Elder God. No, no, no. This is very specific. This is blacked out. Their mutant power is blacked out. Where they are from is blacked out. That is rather extreme. Did anybody have a favorite blade of Arako? I know that, like, I love the white sword of the Ivory Spire in a sort of cloud-strife Buster Blader kind of way, but I think that uh, Iska the Unbeaten and Bay the Blood Moon have the two hottest swords on the blades of Orocco.
1: I think Summoners is pretty hot too. A colony.
0: It just looks so
5: busy. <laughs>
1: it's, it's so extra. It's so extra. Leave it to leave it to the dude whose outfit is literally nothing but some paint on his body to come in with this kind of sword. Like, yeah, it's very busy. It practically has training wheels and spinning rims.
0: It really does. Like, I mean, I that is that is one tricked out sword, which. It's also of note that Summoner's birth name is stricken from the record. There's so much stuff on this particular Blades of Arako page, which if you're reading the digital edition is page 27, that tells me so much more than I think a lot of the setup has. One of the things that I need to give Hickman that I love that Hickman does is he celebrates the artist. He celebrates the artist. I frequently say that Brian Michael Bendis, for however talented you think or don't think he is, I'm, I'm not looking to debate, it. but what I am looking to say is Bendis doesn't need really good art artists on his because he's just going to cover it up anyway. So what's the fucking difference? Just have him have capable artists and competent artists. But he doesn't need breathtaking artists. Hickman loves to lean into giving the artist an opportunity to express the narrative in their point of view. And for that reason, I think Hickman's been relying on these white pages to sort of contextualize a lot of what he's glossing with a wave of his hand.
1: There's a thing about the way Hickman writes that is all only- almost musical right and there's and he packs in a lot of information in the white pages and he makes dialogue very impactful but then there's these quiet moments where he uses very very small words very little words uh and just lets the art speak and i think it's it's one of the coolest things about about this whole whole crossover
0: now evelyn you work in a comic shop your day is seeing art all fucking day and so when I look at that Breathtaking transformation On page 28 The page that immediately follows The Blades of Araco, That is such a dynamic shift From the color tone We've been seeing We've been seeing this really Heavy, washed out sort of color And I remember when I worked at an LCS There was actually a logic To how we hung the posters If it was a dark, heavy poster We made sure to put a light poster near If it was a lot of sepia tone In one area We tried to add Like, you know, a burst of blue This page transformed transforms me from this sort of sepia filtered back to a projection of bright into battle. Now, as somebody who literally sees comic book art 24-7 do you still kind of notice like those shifts or is it one big narrative movement to you now?
2: Oh no, I definitely notice. So when I, when it comes to my own personal collecting, I definitely like tend towards the art. Like I'm definitely one of those people that will spend a little bit extra money on a variant cover if the variant cover is just immaculate. So when I, I definitely notice the exact same thing where it goes from this like just dark kind of sepia tone, almost mono, tone with a little burst of golden red to this big like blue and greens it's such a stark difference and like that just the boom with the blue and then just the bright like not quite lime green there it's just it's so nice to see and then it's like the burst of blue from Apocalypse and then later on like the purple from Betsy it's nice to have just this big color so to me it really demonstrates the difference between a Iraqo and Krakoa where in Krakoa it is this paradise this hope where um, the people from um, Iraqo are just they've been just fighting their whole lives um, trying to just survive and so I feel like the art and the colors really just emphasizes those things rather than just having to tell us they're able to show us.
0: And, you know, we even see that darkness creep back in for a few pages where they take a look at their tarot cards. Everything goes back to that heaviest sepia filter. And then we enter what I can only explain looks like Casino Night's Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog. Straight <laughs> up. Everything is these blue floating platforms and this black and gold world. And all I can think is, tink, tink, tink. It's like all I can hear as I'm reading the pages. But, you know, those cards, man, those tarot cards, cards in those next few pages has everybody quite a buzz. Now, I know Jonah, you've been particularly dignitized by the amount of tarot cards that we've had thrown our way and how that divination all sort of comes
3: together. So, how do you feel about this update set of cards? I am very fascinated. There are a couple that I'm most interested in. Specifically, I'm curious and confused by Doug getting Hold on, I have a whole list.
4: Confused by Doug
0: Getting the you're gonna bang Gorgon card?
3: Yes, he got the Two of Cups, which it's more love than the Lover's card. I am I, I don't I, I...
2: Can, can I add something just small in there? Yes. Okay, so something that I literally just noticed looking at the page right now is we see Warlock's hand on the card, like Warlock on his arm very clearly. So that makes me think is it also like is he attracted to Warlock as the weapon Like, I wonder if that might be something else as well where he might want to use Warlock rather than Doug using it and trying to manipulate him rather than being a friend.
0: And maybe even warlock and doug becoming one in this battle instead oh my god there's so many reads to it now uh, wow that's amazing Sorry. no that's amazing and, no. this just went from like a diners club card to an amex and now there's no limit
3: i wasn't so much excited about the meaning of the card but more so the art on it of wolverine wrestling summoner
0: Oh, and I love that Summoner looks so sassy and is just like, you gotta tap out, girl. And Wolverine's like, no, like, I love it. It's so fun. The other thing about it, I don't know if how many people here are familiar with the origins of Tarot, but Tarot began as a game before it was used as a tool for divination. It started as a game in Europe, and now it's being used for divination. This started as a game to Saturnine, but now it's going to determine the fate of the universe. And that really, really makes me wonder what her spell of sorts is on page Page 34, where she says, As I call my power to me, as I wish it, so it shall be. She's clearly doing something. She is up to some no good. And I am fascinated to know how all of these disparate elements are going to come together, because that's the point at which she begins her quest through Casino Night Zone. Now, Arturo, you have been like the biggest supporter of Apocalypse, really, for like the longest time uh, in regard to his new era and new purpose. Now, how do you feel about him having not just one equal? In the form of Saturnine, who, you know, she's not an equal, she's a better. But now we also see his ex-wife show up. How did that play out for you, having seen him go from biggest bad to biggest good to second string? Uh
1: I reject your premise. <laughs> I don't see him as <laughs> I don't see him as second string at all. I think uh the greatest one of the greatest tricks uh the entire Dawn of X has 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 pulled off is the humanizing and i know that that sounds uh, offensive but the humanizing of apocalypse and seeing this tender side of him and seeing that you know he's trying to hold his own even when he's outmatched it's just made me love him even more. And I worry about him. I'm I'm worried sick about him. Yeah, I mean you had you mentioned the Evan Sabanur uh question that I had brought up, I guess, in our in our chat or whatever. I, I'm concerned for Apocalypse and I'm concerned for his legacy because I, I'm already kind of coming to terms with he might not survive it. So what survives in his place? Is it you know, I've been thinking about the 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 death seed that was in in Archangel? Could Archangel kind of take on Apocalypse's role? could evan Sabinor, could genesis come back and uh and and play his his take his role in, in the council and i don't know I, I just i hope he's all right because yeah this is so cool you know seeing him in this element it's uh it's just un it, it's uncovered whole other aspects to the character that i don't think anybody saw coming what about you jonah what are what's your take on apocalypse because we had a we had a hearty debate about whether or not Apocalypse was going to die and I know in that room, I was outvoted. I was the sole person hoping that he survives. So I want to hear from you guys. Like, what do you think is going to happen?
2: So
3: th- I think there's a difference between wanting to survive and thinking they're going to die. Because there's wants and there's thinks. And I would be fine if Apocalypse lives. Though, I obviously, there have to be some losers from Krakoa. You can't have them all win. Uh, but do I think it'll be Apocalypse no and here's why because i think they're going to give apocalypse the redemption arc of him being like i actually am stronger than you my love and like that's what's gonna happen that's gonna be the story because he's that girl and i would appreciate something like that where you have genesis like in every interaction we've seen her with apocalypse with apocalypse she's constantly calling him weak she's constantly calling him a weakling that she's better than him and it's this like narrative of she's always better she's always going to be be the better one. Hell, even her sister's better than him. So I would really like to see Apocalypse be a winner and triumph over his wife.
1: I would love that. What about you, Evelyn?
2: I definitely agree with Jonah that... Like it just, the whole thing seems like it's setting up for Apocalypse to either die or to triumph over the odds. And honestly, I would be okay with it going either way. Artura, I know you're such an Apocalypse fan, but I think I said it earlier where I think there would be some beauty in his death of him dying to protect his great ideals.
0: You know, I kind of, I've never been an Apocalypse guy, ever. I have always thought he is the weirdest, thinnest, m- m- least thought out bad guy. You know, he starts out with survival of the fittest, but then he specifically picks weak mutes. He claims every mutant must be able to prove that they can survive on their own without any help, and then he genetically experiments on them to make them stronger. He claims that mutant blood should never, ever be shed, but then he starts killing mutes. And so, like, Apocalypse has never been a well-thought character. He was literally created out of a shadow, and they developed an entire character around a silhouette by the seat of their pants as they went and they've given him a backstory in The Rise of Apocalypse. He was given a backstory that he was a mutant born a long time ago. And so... This is all being completely transformed for this era of Apocalypse. And if you're asking me if I want this Apocalypse to survive, absolutely. He's fascinating. He is complex and nuanced. If you're asking me if I want Apocalypse the Twelve, Apocalypse War, if I want the guy who secretly started experimenting on Wolverine and Archangel to turn them into death, eh, no. That guy can stay gone. But this New nu- Apocalypse, he's fucking fascinating, and I am here for every minute
4: of him. X of Swords, chapters 11 and 12, here in the West Coast Room. Chapter 11, Stasis, written by Jonathan Hickgod and Tini Howard, art by Pepe Laraz and Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Clayton Powell. Before we begin, I'd like to introduce our amazing crew here in the West Coast Room. First off, I have with me Raven. Raven, say hi and tell us where we can find you. Hey, it's
6: Raven, also known as Dame Red Bento. Type that in, you'll find me all over uh, Twitter and Twitch and Instagram, all that kind of good stuff. Um, And hopefully within the next uh, couple months, I will be up and running with a new setup, a new getup, and a whole lot of new content. Uh, I would love to introduce Dante. Dante, where are you from? What's up with you?
7: Hi, thank you. I'm Dante in Seattle, and uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at InfernoMagic. And I would like to introduce Rod. Rod, where can everybody find you?
8: Hey, I'm Rod. And you can find me at Hoxrod, that's H-U-A-X-R-O-D, on Twitter and Instagram. All right, Josh, let's get this ball rolling.
4: Yep, and I'm Josh Wheel. As always, you can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L, on Twitter and at Asleep at the So, let's get this rolling. Stasis, we've got Saturnine leading the chair. We start to get to meet some of these regions and who oh boy. And I've got to say, the two, we've talked about this before, the two that I am most excited and think that are going to be most important for us moving forward, whether it's during *Hawk's uh, Ten of Swords, or past, are Blightspoke and Hot Hive. We've got Vesperidae, the Colony Queen of Hot Hive, one of Avalon's two neighboring realms, and then we've got... I was not at all ready for the sexy lady pirate pimp Sheriff of <laughs> <in> the White <laughs> coat. Ugh,
5: Yes, please
6: step on me.
4: <laughs> also, oh my neighbor to Jamie Braddock, region of Avalon, which can only go bad in the best possible way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wearing uh, Sinister's cape. I know. Sinister's cape looks good on a long <laughs> cloth. He showed up to the council meeting in Sinister's cape in a long pot.
8: Yeah, because he wants to show off his assets. He looks good. But,
6: with a very confused girl in a unicorn right beside him. Like, what yeah. the hell?
8: Yeah, I don't know what that was about. I guess he was like, you know what? I want a unicorn today. And some <laughs> random woman. And to be the king. And to be the king. I, I loved it. I didn't expect this when we first saw the issue, I was like, who is this woman sending out invitations? Are they going to watch the, like, you know, the competition? Is that what they're doing? We're having spectators now. And then when we had this whole city council thing, I was like, oh, wow, we're getting to see every region, which I was hoping we going we're going to. Like, I'm glad we get to see the personality of every region now and how disorderly, like, they all coming together. Because there's no order in this. Like, mm. they, they're all at each other's throats. Like, Saturine is barely keeping everything from destroying each other. (laughs) She had to destroy her own gavel just to get order. Like, that it was crazy.
4: And we've learned, too, now that with the recent kind of changes in power, it seems like things have been pretty settled here in Otherworld for a while. But now you've got New King Jamie, you've got mm-hmm. the weird uh, Mercator people who took over, you've mm-hmm. got Blightspoke um, was recently taken over, like there's, oh, and, and obviously the Iraqans. Yeah, mm. like yeah. there's a the bunch Americans. of, there's a lot of unease. At kind of the sovereignty and the relationships here in Otherworld, which is very cool. And it wasn't in these two issues, but we did learn in between the release of this and when we're talking that the fights, our actual fights, are going to happen throughout Otherworld in a variety of realms. So mm-hmm. now we know that we're going to actually get to visit and see some of these realms, and that maybe some of the dangerous aspects of these realms could have an effect on the outcomes of the fights oh yeah hugely absolutely
7: yeah it's what I've been waiting for this entire time you know we've been getting data pages about all these different realms and people have been like what's the point of this yeah (laughs) Yeah. here here we are this is the point of this we're going to actually get to visit all of these areas so you've been learning slowly to prep you for what's going to be an epic battle across 10
6: realms Right. Oh my God. I can't, I I can't wait. I can't wait. But yeah, like each of the different realms, each of the different environments could greatly affect how the battle is going to go between the combatants because it could very much play into one or the other's hands, you know, enhance a power or dampen a power or just give better terrain. Like, Oh, this is going to be so good. It's going to be so good.
8: (laughs) I mean that's that's what's that's what um sucks for the X Men are the mutants of Krakoa in general because the mutants of Krakoa they already they already know the other world and they already know they so they probably even try to set it up in a way that they get each part where they feel more comfortable in and they know that their partner wouldn't feel comfortable in if they're doing if they're actually planning it that way. I'm sure war would be planning it that way. So it's it's very oh, disadvantaged.
4: Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of conspirators here. And so this will go back to something Nico said earlier in the episode in his room, which is that we have three people at this chessboard, three main players manipulating and moving the pieces. And it was made very clear in this issue, too. We're going to see it. You know, war may be manipulating, but war is working for someone else. We have Mm -hmm. three players at this chessboard with their own manipulations for their own personal reasons. Apocalypse, Annihilation, and Saturnine. Mm Yeah. So everything we see is one of them either manipulating this in their favor or counter maneuvering or positioning someone else to affect them. Mm
6: -hmm. Well, and I mean, like you, you touched on war. War is not stupid. War is war for a freaking reason. And (laughs) she is, you know, she's a strategist you know, war isn't just, okay, we just throw a bunch of bodies at it. It has purpose. It has focus. It has strategy. And, you know, it, usually it moves very purposely and war has been doing her job for thousands of years now. So yeah, she, she's, she's not stupid. Hell, I mean, the four horsemen and, and, and their whole crew annihilated Draidor. Like, just raised it to the ground and decimated everyone and reformed the entire planet into their own hellscape. So you know that they've set up a battleground.
4: Let's compare that to Excalibur because the Krakoans and the Arakans each have one of the 10 realms of Otherworld. Mm -hmm. We watched the Krakoans take theirs over the course of the first six issues of Excalibur Mm -hmm. and Apocalypse died and had to be resurrected as part of that. Mm Mm-hmm. We watched the Iraqans take theirs in two pages mm-hmm. at the beginning of X and creation, and they didn't break a sweat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, that's
8: why, like, um, we're definitely, the Kokoans are definitely not winning, m- not half of it, maybe half, maybe half of the battles. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, look who they're going up against. I mean, we have some fierce people on our side as well, mm-hmm. but, I oh, mean... Yeah. I mean, compared to like some. I mean, compared to some of them, they have no weak points on their team. On, on
4: I have mm-hmm. some opinions about this. And mm-hmm. going back to the kind of Machiavellian scheming of Apocalypse Annihilation and Saturnine, I don't think Annihilation wants to go ten and out. I think Annihilation would like to see a couple very specific losses on her own side. Well,
6: bear in mind, I don't think we've gotten the rules of the tournament just yet.
4: No, we have, and it. the rules no,
6: yeah, yeah. could change. No. The rules could change. Who's declared a winner and who's not? Yeah, that's yes. right. True, because you know, knockout or incapacitation could be a deciding factor for a battle. If you can no longer continue, you know, even if you're still technically alive, if you can no longer continue and your sword is taken from you, you could be the loser. But yeah, is it based on
4: the sword? Or the
5: fighter. hmm
8: That's true. If the sword's just destroyed, it does it keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, the the for some reason the whole time I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna be one on one battles Mm -hmm. Uh, every time we hear the characters talking about it they're they're conspiring or or uh, trying to be strategic as a team like how they're Mm going to approach you know like who they're going to take out you know like anything like so it it made me realize yeah i have no idea what the rules are going to actually be and you know everyone for all all the planning that everyone's doing Saturnine has her own plan and how things are going to actually end up engaging Mm
4: -hmm. yes now part of me wonders if they are being written, like, trying to plan this out as, because they don't know, like, whether the, you know, whether the X-Men or the Kirkcoans know, like, what they're doing or, or not. Um, like, I don't know how much of that we can take as, like, kind of good information, but mm-hmm. um, let's get into this next part. So the, our meeting here ends with death, Saying our ten hungriest fighters wield our ten thirstiest blades, and Jamie like, yeah, we're on their way.
5: <laughs> and
4: then, and then we get the portals. So mm-hmm. we get to we get our full run of sword bearers on each of their portal setups. And we mm-hmm. see not ten, but nine Krokoan sword bearers. Gorgon playing two roles, which brings up so many freaking questions. Like, if he loses the first fight, does it count as two losses? Or do they resurrect him and send wildcard Gorgon whoever they get back in for the second fight? Does he have to fight <laughs> both of them at the same time? Does, like, there's so bit like, the Gorgon one has... So many possibilities. I was not expecting. I just thought we were going to have a mystery number 10. I was not expecting Gorgon to be like, yeah, I'll take two of these. Right?
8: Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. I was expecting the mystery person to come sooner or later. But, I mean, Gorgon is a badass. So, I mean, I guess they're like, and he's fine. I mean, when has he really lost the battle? So, I mean, I, I kind of get him being two people. I mean, he if, if, that, if I had to pick someone to be one of the four horsemen, Based on his group, he would definitely be one of them.
4: I mean, let's put it this way. He's of all the captains, He's the one that Apocalypse and Magneto bring around as their bodyguard. Exactly. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, look at his frickin mutant power. It's just like his name. So you might have somebody who's a big old badass who, you know, you know, could tower above him and just be massive. And yet if his mutant power works on them, they're screwed. <laughs>
8: yeah, it, it is wild. I mean, these, these Dawn of X Hoxpox times are definitely wild for a long, so many reasons. I mean, we have Apocalypse and Gorgon working with all these other affiliated X-Men members. And it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely love it because I mean, I, I'm all for villains coming over and working together with the heroes and for the greater good. I mean, I, I, that's my fav- almost my favorite part of this whole new- coming thing.
6: Yeah, like, the 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 very fact that they're literally all standing around right next to fucking Apocalypse. I know. <laughs> right next to Gork. Like, I'm like, in any other timeline, in any other story arc, you would be trying to murder the fuck out of each other. Yeah. And yet now, right now, you're standing here as a quote-unquote team. Okay, this is definitely different. Of course, looking at the See, other side, that, you're like, hmm. Yeah, the
8: other side definitely isn't okay with it.
4: I love that all mutants are on the same team because we've seen it happen enough times. Like, Apocalypse has been having to, like, begrudgingly team up or be part of, like, with the X-Men. I mean, even in the 90s it happened. You know, we saw it in Executioner's Song. You know, we've seen it over and over again. Sinister having to come team up. You know, we saw it in Jalis <laughs> coming in. We've seen him come yeah. and before in an X-Factor coming and rescuing Havoc when he got possessed. Because no one fucks with the Summer Brothers except for him. Like, we're on the same team. Cool. But I really fucking hate this guy. It's
7: so funny. It's so funny to me that you say that because you know, like that—that—that that, that definitely has been the the dawn of X experience, right? All mutants coming together, but they're all coming together to fight other mutants now. Mm-hmm. So hilarious to me.
6: Yeah, because I'm like, mm, it's not all mutants. It's mutants on on our Earth and affiliated with our Earth or our reality. But yeah, it's not all mutants because uh, quite literally it's, you know, you had a society of mutants in Araco and, you know, it, it's, it's all, it's pretty much all a mutant on mutant war for the fate of the realms.
8: Yeah. I mean, to, to Kokoa's defense, I would say that they did try to come over there and save them. They were, I feel like oh, they, yeah. could, I mean, they did trick Apocalypse into going and then they, you know, they almost killed Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they were like, oh yeah, let's extend his olive branch, and then they were <laughs> like, nah, we want to actually kill you all and take over your planet. <laughs> like,
4: well, and Now, in in Araco's defense, I don't think that they all tried to trick Apocalypse. I think Summoner's a dick, and the rest <laughs> of you know, like I don't think necessarily the rest of them knew that like Summoner was like pretending to love him and be a good grandson and bringing him back to trade. Like,
6: look who Summoner's mother is right long term <laughs> strategy of and very
8: course too. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah like, like lies mm-hmm. like they are badass enough that they don't need to lie or trick people like if you <laughs> don't like what they have, if you don't like their truth they'll just fuck you up yeah yeah but it's it's
6: stratagem like if you had the chance to end a fight quick and take over the land the best <clears> way <throat> to do it is it to, like, just drop the big bad as quickly as possible. And honestly, Apocalypse is probably one of the strongest mutants on in our realm. So, of course, dropping his own grandfather, you know, that's what you got to do. And I mean, I, like, you can't, I don't think Summer would be able to lie to war because it's really hard to lie to a parent because yeah. they know your tells. So, I, yeah i think it was possibly a strategy between war and summoner to try and end this quick
9: welcome back to Exes for podcasts i'm kyle and you can find me on both twitter and instagram at drantis82 that's drantis 82
10: Hey guys, it's Maddie again. You guys can find me as always over on Instagram at, at The Basely Covetous Man.
11: Hey guys, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at a o a. And we also have us with us today, Robbie.
12: And you could definitely find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. So today we
9: have a two parter that we're going to be discussing: Ten of Swords Stasis, followed directly by X-Men number 14. So with that, why don't we start right away? Ten of
10: Swords Stasis, written by Jonathan Hickman and Tieny Howard, with artist Pepe Larraz and Mahmoud Asrar, color artist Marte Gracia, BC's Clayton Cowles on Letters, and designed by Tom Muller.:
9: Okay, so this was, I guess you could say the other side of the sword collection story in a much more condensed state huh huh
11: yeah i know right i'm like <laughs> I, I really wish we would gotten hit like that on our side but you know
9: <laughs> yeah i kind of wish that we had a little more time with the iraqi group because I, I don't really feel like we've gotten a lot of background into them other than what was the phrase maddie that they were old oh oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy
10: i got it right here if i have to read one more time today as we're going to be covering stasis and x-men number 14 it was ancient before the word existed but not yet old in the way they were old if i have to read that one more time if I have to see the same, and they're beautiful, and Mahmoud Azrar did such a beautiful job, but if I have to see the same seven pages of art one more time, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind.
5: <laughs> this, is,
10: this is a 22-chapter installment. We are covering today chapters 10 and 11. We are at the halfway point. Excuse me, we are covering uh, chapters 11
9: and, 12. 11 and 12.
10: 12. We're covering chapters 11 and 12. We are over halfway there. We are past the halfway point. And we are just recycling art. But that'll be that'll be for covering X-Men 14. Uh, as far as stasis goes, I think that, like Kyle said, it, it was excellent to get a, a reverse of what we've been getting so far, which is to see the Iraqi sword bearers and the, the plights that they go through. Um, Pogger Pog is my special boy. He's my, <laughs> my, my sweet special angel. I actually want to go as far as to, because I'm, I'm a big fan of tongue twisters. I don't know if anybody knows this about me. Uh, but the prophecies of the sword bearers of Morocco, pog or pogs pog and er pogs pog, but pogs or Pog pog and then er pogs pog <laughs> is is lit- pog. is literally it's like the sentence buffalo 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 buffalo. I, I think I think it's it's the best thing that I've seen in comics all month, honestly.
9: He makes me think of a, a Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. He's a psychotic Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> a psychotic mercenary po- Pokemon. <laughs> right at the start, we're thrown into the gathering of the Otherworld's Parliament, and it sounds like there's not a lot of agreement between the various realms. You have Roma and Merlin. They always disagree on everything. You have Mercator, which refuses to speak to anybody. Blightspoke, who apparently has a new leader in the Sheriff Gia. You have Hot Hive and the...
10: Former uh, Republic of Dryador. Yep, Yep,
9: former Republic of Dryador. Avalon, and then Jim Jaspers. Oh, the the Crooked Market. There's a lot of tension between the group, I think.
11: And Jamie Braddock. Jamie Braddock is still in the cape. I love it. I love that.
9: It's pretty much the only the only thing he's wearing besides a loincloth.
5: <laughs> True. So, <laughs>
9: <laughs> How does everybody feel about the level of, of aggression that pestilence and famine are having towards the other leaders?
10: You know, I think I think right out of the gate, it sets them up to be very combative, uh, very, very unyielding, which is something that we're going to want to see going forward. I personally am obsessed with the unnamed representatives of the province recently renamed Mercator. Yeah. The weird little hammerhead shark heads and their green flames.
9: Yeah, this is this is what, the second time we've seen them? Yeah, I'm yeah.
10: liking on a first, but I wouldn't be surprised at all.
11: I love how, like, ah, they, they kind of, like, walk in and they're like, no, my dick is bigger. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> down. You're like, wait, what? What's going on?
12: What I loved is that those two, they just weren't willing to play games with them <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, it. they pretty much antagonized the entire, the entire group. And one thing I liked was with Sheriff Gia, I really, really love the character designs for that group a lot.
10: Oh, you've got you've got yeah. two two bird mask um, yes. plague doctor looking uh, looking thieves, <laughs> and you've got this sweet boy in a, what, what I originally thought was like a half bear man, but it looks like a man wearing the helm and hands of a bear, which is just terrifying.
11: Mm.
9: Yeah, <laughs> she kind
11: of looks like uh, La Bandera, who was like a really minor character in Wolverine for a while.
9: She reminds reminds me of Carmen Sandiego. <gasps> oh
11: my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs>
9: Okay, so so moving on, her Herwinus gives us a little visual into the X-Men preparing their ritual, and we have Apocalypse giving everybody a pep talk. Now, I remember a couple weeks ago, Robbie, that you had talked about how we had gotten to see a humanizing of Apocalypse in X-Men 13.
12: How did seeing him kind of take on this leader role affect you? If someone told me about this moment, like two years ago, I wouldn't have believed them. (laughs) (laughs) But seeing this... I really love it because it's so unifying with the team or with mutants in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
9: I I see that. It's it's something that he's always strived for, but we've never really seen him take that opportunity that that um level of things with the entire mutant community. Did
11: anybody else take like so when he's, whenever he's talking he's like most of you are mutants does anybody like <laughs> does he like apocalypse seem annoyed that Brian Braddock he is seems, the sword bear? he seems so annoyed that Brian is yeah.
10: there it was so close to being a mutants only party and now we've had to make room on sacred soil for a human he did parlay out of that pretty well in the, in the closing of his ritual pep talk, which is, so when you draw your sword, you must not fight like a human who stands to, use a, to lose a few years of toil, but like a mutant who stands to lose forever in paradise. For if you do not, you will not be the first immortals I have watched die. And I think that was really
9: powerful. Definitely.
10: But, you know, from such a from such a fantastic pep talk to such a such a mixed piece of art for me, I know it's the first time that we're seeing all of the sword bearers of Arako and Krakoa together, but I do think that it would have been something to have the characters standing beneath or opposite their equals. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that we've been able to deduce so far. I feel like part of that is that Solemn is going to be Wolverine's, quote, arch nemesis. I feel like we know that Storm and Death are do, uh, destined to stack up against one another. And it's not to say that there will only be battles, that, that this will be an entire tournament of one-on-one. But at the same time, I think that showing us halfway into this arc, who is, is poised to go up against who? Because we know this isn't going to jump right into a fight. We've all read the next issue of X-Men. We all know that there's some subterfuge to get through. And I would have stood to be a little bit happier about seeing just a glimpse of what the original like fighting lineup is gonna look like.
9: Yeah. Uh especially since as of yet, we still don't know any of the rules behind this. Saturnine is keeping those cards very, very close to her chest. <laughs> her bucks <Buxomy> me chest. <laughs> Damn right. I thought so... I was the token straight.
10: <laughs> hey hey every once in a while <laughs> hey listen man there, there's a, there's always room in the spectrum for pan
9: <laughs> so uh next up we have the the prophecies of the sword bearers of varako maddie we already know that you were particularly uh entranced by pogger pogs uh did anybody else find uh any of the prophecies particularly intriguing you know,
10: I, I've i sat down and I've spent a lot of time trying to equate whose prophecy is for whom, and it's a little difficult not knowing these characters. It's a little hard to blindly, you know, a, a warrior unchallenged welcomes his weakness for wielding a flaw has its advantage. That would have to be something about a sword that I don't know about to let me know which character it is that I don't know about. I think the only ones that I've just about gotten are uh, a blade of flame, innocence interred, all's fair in love and her. I want to say is war just because of the flames. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a kiss is a wish pressed into flesh. Death is a gift unmade. Bones wait a lifetime to exist, praying for a cage to be flayed, uh, potentially death.
9: Yep, does yep. anybody
10: agree? Does anybody so. does
11: anybody have a few that they've, uh, they've pulled out for themselves? I think the last one, a garden now choked with ancient vines, is probably Red Root, like the cipher analog.
10: Yeah, which is yes. fascinating enough. I had no I had not known that Red Root was a, a binary female until I believe it was in the pages of the next issue we'll be covering where she was referred to as such.
5: Everything, it is kind of hard everything to. Everything about the design is, I mean,
10: is a little masculine. Yeah, I think uh, you know, and I, I, I thought, given how much we all loved, I'm just assuming we all love solemn from uh, <laughs> from Wolverine uh, yeah. and from X Force. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been trying to figure out which is. Mm, I've been trying to figure out which is solemn, and I, I cannot for the life of me, uh, unless unless I change my boat, uh, my vote. And say a warrior unchallenged welcomes his weakness for wielding a flaw has its advantages. I could see that being solemn in the weakness of adamantium against the Muramasa blade.
9: Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, that that would be, that a, be a like. A good option.
10: I mean, either either way, all of these prophecies were beautiful. Um, if if they were written by uh, Teeny Howard or not, I'm not entirely sure. I no, nothing against Jonathan Hickman. Jonathan Hickman is a master of many things, but I feel like this poetry had to have come from Teeny.
9: Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> He's a great yeah.
10: mastermind,
11: but I don't really see him as a flowing like poet. <laughs>
5: well, you know, and
10: and also, you know, just uh, like I feel like I feel like everybody's talent was showcased here. I think there's the flowery language of the prophecies, which is definitely teeny. I think the writing of what little bit of Saturnine we get is teeny. I feel like all of Death and all of the White Sword are Jonathan Hickman at his best. I can hear a lot of teeny in the Red Root Exchange and then Tom Muller, of course, just out here killing it with the design pages, the Blades of Baracko, which gives us not only not only perfect little, like this, I am an artist in my own right, and this is the type of iconography that I live for, little mm-hmm. minimalist pieces, like all of the, the hox pox docs, text bumps if they had a little bit of accompanying art, I would be the happiest man on Earth. But not only do we get these little thumbnails of each of the swords, but we also get, save for Annihilation, all of the mutant powers exhibited by yes. the sword bearers oh, of Morocco, yeah. which is yeah.
9: tremendous. It's it's definitely tremendous. And a number of their abilities are sound kind of uh, really terrifying. <laughs> oh, Bay,
10: Bay the Blood Moon's mutant power is the doom note. That yeah. Is yeah. Incredible. The coolest thing I've ever heard. Potentially,
5: <laughs> <laughs> I like so, how your
11: pog just a beast for a myth. He's like no powers. He's just pog. But now <laughs> you know. And if we can,
10: if we can jump ahead for a moment, just in the interest of, and of course, like like everything else that we cover, if if it's in the title, you can expect it to be spoiled. That is that is the purpose of these episodes. The hope is that everybody who's listening is reading along with us and not expecting so much a panel-for-panel panel breakdown with accompanying text, so much as a loose discussion of the overarching themes. So having yeah. said that, knowing that Annihilation is, I'll give you a minute if you want to turn this episode off, in case you've gotten us wildly wrong for 156 episodes.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
10: <laughs> or in fairness, in case you're just jumping in, Um, And we we welcome and cherish new listeners. But knowing now that Annihilation is Genesis, seeing that her mutant power was redacted from that info dump that I love so much, I Mm -hmm. wonder, does anybody have any speculation as to what Genesis's powers are? Because let's not forget she's sister to Iska. So Iska's power being the inability to be beaten, you know, it could be like a loose concept like that. Let's also not forget these are the first mutants of all time. So right. what what exactly is out of the realm of possibility for a mutant ability?
11: I think it would be kind of poetic in a way if, like, since her name was Genesis, if it was something with like life bringing or like positive life force kind of thing, and then you know she gets slapped by being an and I, If I can't say that right, annihilation.
9: Yeah, I was I was thinking huh. that too. I struggled with connecting that with the fact that she was the most powerful mutant and that she saw apocalypse as weak compared to everybody else.
10: Yeah, she she is clearly, from what we are given uh to understand, she is clearly the most powerful of the original sets of mutants. At least powerful enough that she seems to have not only thousands of years later does she still maintain most of their allegiance. But she was powerful enough to defeat and to wield annihilation, which, as we'd seen in uh, one of last week's issues, in nope was it one of last week's issues? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was the last issue of X Men. God, I gotta get better at this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, as we as we'd seen in X Men thirteen. Uh, It's stated that you need to be exceptionally strong to wield annihilation and live. Not maintain your autonomy. We know that annihilation controls the wearer. But for the wearer to come out unscathed, you right. need to be of yeah. exceptional build and frankly if we're being honest to handle apocalypse dick like you gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be built for oh tough. you know what I mean like no, no disrespect Genesis is, is far more than the former lover of apocalypse as I'm sure will come to learn hopefully in the next 11 chapters
5: mm. <laughs> so, just the thought of that <laughs> apocalypse didn't yeah.
9: so Robbie um I'm gonna I'm gonna turn things towards the White Sword. Uh, back in in X Men thirteen, we saw that he and his a hundred companions had gone on ahead to as the vanguard of Arako, and here we see that he sees the Horsemen as betrayers.
12: The way I saw it was that it definitely gives it still, like, a dynamic where they don't fully trust each other in the way that the X-Men might trust each other going into this.
11: That's a good thought, though, right? Teamwork could be definitely... What helps the Krokoan mutants, like, thrive over the Iraqi mutants is just that they can get along and work together.
12: Yeah, because one thing, too, is that even though they do have these challenges ahead of them, if things end up potentially not going the way everyone thought, then if the X-Men have, like, a stronger dynamic of trust, whereas these characters don't, then it could really fuck them over in the end. No, it
10: really can. Yeah. Yeah. You speaking of from to transition from teamwork to team ups, you know something that that's still gnawing at me, still really just getting at me in the back of my mind is that reflection pool image from earlier in this issue the the missed opportunity to stack up the equals of Krakoa and Arako respectively. But I just wanted to ask, is there anything from that image that makes anybody particularly excited or? To parlay that to something else. Uh, How many times can I say parlay in one episode? This is, I'm going to (laughs) go Drinking game. (laughs) Uh, But to parlay into something else, that's three, drinking game. Yeah, it's uh, it's post-election, so it's 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that's a sufficient time to begin drinking as far as I'm concerned. But anywho, does anybody have a particular matchup that they
11: are most excited to see play out? I think I really want to see the most Red Root, uh, just because... The pages where, uh, I'm because I'm assuming Red Root is going to be versus Cypher. So, okay. um, just the pages where we actually see her sitting with Arako. Um, and then we see Arako shed a tear. I was like,
9: Yes. Oh, I oh. so sad.
11: Like, I was just like, I got to know more of this. Like, yeah. Obviously, Krakoa and Cypher and Red Root and Arako have that same sort of close, close bond.
9: Yeah. And the fact that Arako. Uh, willingly gave up a part of herself in order to send the High Summoner to Krakoa because she thought that it would bring uh, reunification and instead it's bringing more fighting.
11: I kind of feel bad for Sorry. Arako and Krakoa in this because I feel like they're being used in, as pawns in this game not really, like nobody maybe a few people have mentioned it like Charles and Cypher and probably Redroot But nobody really seems to have their interest in mind. They just want to either destroy and conquer. Or I love every time we see Iska, like she's just like laid back and chill. She's like, "Eh, No, you guys aren't bothering me. None of you guys can beat me.
12: (laughs) The least stressed out. (laughs) Near the end of
9: the issue, we are introduced to a number of new tarot cards that have. Our characters, our X-Men, on them again. There are cards that are missing. Gorgons, we never see.
10: It's her magic card. She's the the three of wands. No, 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 not the three of wands. My apologies.
9: She's the page of wands. She's
10: the page of wands.
9: Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, don't I, know how I missed that. that. Okay. No, so, you know um, what?
10: No, excuse me. It says three of wands, but that's not included
11: in the draw.
9: Right. Yeah,
11: because when you look at the data page in the back, it says uh, page. So yeah, page. Yeah.
9: So, <laughs>
11: okay. So,
9: um, <laughs>
12: oh, you know what it is. The finger must be covering the page part. So, price is the page. Uh,
10: you know what? It wouldn't. It wouldn't say
12: page um, of normally, one. It wouldn't say the yeah, page.
10: There wouldn't be. That's the...
12: weird. Be, that must be like an editorial issue because the cards never have the in front of it.
10: Yeah. That I was just gonna say to to echo what Robbie's saying. I wonder if it's an editorial mistake or if that is in fact the hidden card. Card that was not pulled in the draw because the the Knight of Pentacles is what I was going to mistake for the Page of Wands and say that that was Captain Avalon, but Captain Avalon is in fact the Knight of Pentacles. I think for a second, I want yeah. to I want to just assume that it's an editorial issue and state that that Magic's card is Three of Wands. Um, I don't see it reflected in the art or the iconography of the card itself, but I can only assume that that's meant to say Three of Wands. So that said, when played in an upright position, I dabble in a little bit of tarot, but this is coming to you courtesy of Google because I'm upfront like that. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> U- upright,
10: the card of Three of Wands has a couple keywords, progress, expansion, foresight, and it oversees opportunities. But the reason why I wanted to... And of course, this card, the one that I want to cover, is the editorial issue. Magic is laying at with her head at the foot of the bed, and she is represented to be reversed, even though she hasn't drawn the card in reverse. I wanted to take a look at the Three of Wands meanings when played in reverse, um, playing small, lacking foresight, and unexpected delays. The only reason that I really stand this card being the draw for Ileana is because I think as we've covered in the most recent issues of new mutants and in the original uh creation ten of swords creation that we covered i think there's a lot of emphasis on iliana being the babysitter to doug in the upcoming events and i mm-hmm. think that a reverse three of cards the unexpected delays the lacking foresight the playing small all are thematic with what it would be for a warrior to hold back to try and take care of another life you know <sighs>
9: oh i oh, didn't okay. even think of that so that's
10: okay. my card anyone else want to cover one <laughs>
5: um,
9: well, let's see uh i, 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 you, I mean i'm
10: i'm happy to go to go one by one with these bad boys <laughs> i got i got limitless resources baby <laughs> Limitless. Okay. all so, courtesy of the googs i'll go with a nine you know, of swords then Oh, I you know I was gonna say the two of cups.
11: Yeah, yeah, do it. I, I love that card for Doug because I'm sure you guys can tell me more of the meaning behind it. But at least the one they give us is you know they said it's the lovers. It's not the card of true love. This one is harmony. Is this one's future? So if by Doug having it and him being the representative of Gracoa, we're like, oh, are you know are we actually going to get Okara back? You know. And I'm sure in the shadows, I'm assuming it's Red Root, but that's just me.
10: Well, it is a card of unified love, partnership, and mutual attractions of a coming together uh, in, in love. And I think that it is very likely that we will see that being a card played in favor of Krakoa and Arako's uh, rejoining, but also on the card you know, I want to say that it is a card of attraction between Red Root and Doug, but if you look, it seems like the card the figure opposite Doug looks a lot
9: like Exodus
5: I. so if, if that's the
10: case, then, then I is have that... lost the meaning Lexus, of the card
11: <laughs>
9: is that Exodus or is that Gorgon?
10: <laughs> ooh Oh my god, can you imagine if it were Gorgon? The the epaulette seemed pronounced <laughs> enough that I i was pretty certain that it was uh it, it's Exodus. And who knows, after after choking him out in the last <laughs> issue of New Mutants, maybe that awakens something in bed.
12: <laughs>
10: Doug's like, wow, I mean? so like really <laughs>
12: give
10: give it to me, Zaddy. <laughs>
12: Uh, I definitely agree that about the potential unification of Krakoa and Arako, because in a lot of readings, the two of cups could definitely signify like a soulmate or like a twin flame type of thing of your other half. And yeah, so I definitely could see that being a potential outcome of this. Now
11: okay. with you now with that image of Exodus being <laughs> his soulmate, I'm like uh
9: <laughs> So um my girl the Z and Zaddy stands for zealot. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Betsy got a rough shake.
9: <laughs> Betsy did get a rough shake. She got the nine of sorts, uh, which in the upright position uh usually signifies anxiety, worry, fear, Enough. depression, nightmares.
12: Being stressed yeah, the that's... fuck out. <laughs> <laughs>
9: Because of the the strain between her and Saturnine and now that she is oh. specifically Saturnine's chosen warrior because she has the Starlight Sword, mm. um, I, I, can, I can understand that she would be feeling really unsure of herself in that new position.
11: Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah,
10: okay.
9: you
11: know, I,
10: I think personally the, the card just looks like she's getting stabbed to death. Like just well, absolutely yeah. like stabbed to high hell. Um, so poor Betsy, I can only imagine what that's going to mean. Uh, usually, usually in a lot of interpretations, the swords are of this card. The swords are uh, in the, in the background, not so much in a, in a steady uh, position, which is definitely right. not the, the, the word that I meant to say there, but you know, y'all you kind of get the gist. Um, I think I want to look yep. at the, the reverse translation of the nine of swords as well. Uh, inner okay. turmoil, deep-seated fear, secrets. I think that could also be something to look out for with Betsy. Um, you know, I thought I thought the last issue of Excalibur that we got, we were starting to get a real, honest look at the psychological toll of being Captain Britain in her confrontation with her brother Brian, but that all is alleged to have been a ruse. So I think I think had that been. A, a plot point that had continued forward through the rest of this arc that would have been something to look out for uh the inner turmoil the deep-seated fears but maybe maybe not so much at, at the moment uh
11: what what do you guys think it means for storm to have gotten the death card i mean i know it's not oh. like an end but it's like a change
9: i mean storm has famously been been one to go through lots of transformations uh, not just with her changing her haircut all the time <laughs> um she's lost her powers she got turned into a kid uh um, <laughs> yeah let's see what else i oh. mean she she became a queen she's <laughs> yeah i i i don't know that, that's it's it's a lot of change, so I, I could definitely see a change in her uh, her story coming up again.
11: Oh yeah, there's supposed to be a big story in store for her, right? I love I love that like Storm's like the mutant Madonna now. So
12: <laughs> <laughs> oh, one good thing about Storm is she's kind of in a lot of different points of history has kind of been like the face of change for the x-men like in the 80s when they kind of took that whole new like lineup she became literally the main face of the x-men she's a character who's always kind of avoided death (laughs) i only see this hinting at what's going to be hopefully a bigger focus on her after the event ends And, like, a change in her direction that will kind of put more of, like, even more of a spotlight on her. Maybe you could finally get another solo book. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) That would be nice.
11: Yeah, I'd love to see her do more than just, like, announce mutants come back to life. They're, like... Come on down.
12: So let's let's go to uh, Logan then with uh, the Strength card. Yeah, well, with him, I find Logan to be a very... Uh, like, not an odd choice for Strength, but... Because with Logan's history, we've always seen him as a character that never really gives up, which can kind of tie into that card. It does make me wonder if whatever challenge or whatever fight that he is in, if we're going to see logan make or kind of do something different or come from like a different place of strength possibly because sometimes strength doesn't have to be physical strength either it could be like some type of mental strength as well Ooh, wow. that's
11: interesting i wonder if he's going to do something that's crazy in a future issue mm, I mean, well <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wonder if he'll do something crazy right now yeah <laughs>
9: okay uh, next up, we have uh, Brian with the Knight of Pentacles.
12: What I find so fascinating about is what they chose for him is that that one is a very slow-paced card, it, but it also is about having a, develop, like, a developed plan. So going into this, I wonder if maybe he has another plan up his sleeve that we don't know about, and it's going to be something that's going to develop probably towards the end of this because it's a very slow paced card okay um
9: i mean i could i could (laughs) definitely see that considering the actions in uh
12: the the previous excalibur book or it could be referencing that to be honest
8: okay
11: well i mean he's always been a man who's had a lot of plans especially after Excalibur when he stepped into the the regent of Otherworld for a while so I mean I can definitely see him working like 50 or 60 plans at the same time (laughs) all at the same time acting like a really stupid dumbass
12: (laughs) (laughs) Cable has the fool Now, this I thought was very interesting because this is like a brand new journey, kind of taking that literal first step into something. So I do wonder if this is like low-key editorial's way of being like, hey, we don't plan on canceling his solo book anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) Like, subscribe! (laughs) and um but yeah it makes me uh, very i mean i don't necessarily see it as a way of him dying but for all we know it could also mean like if he were to die then that means he'll take a new journey as with a different personality if he came back or you could just look at it from the point where um where after this event ends we're just gonna see a whole new journey for his character Ooh, well
11: something involving a, a space sword? station maybe <laughs> yeah Yes. <laughs>
5: Thank <laughs>
9: you. And then let's see the last one is apocalypse with the lovers
12: now this one which we kind of get a bit of a glimpse of in the the next issue but um it's so interesting because like yeah people can see this as like a union of lovers but i tend to normally see it as two choices of like a crossroads being like kind of on edge with something that's in front of you not really sure the path of what to choose sometimes and it's really interesting because with those two they're in kind of completely different paths Hmm. yeah
11: yeah Yeah. i I love that the the card upset apocalypse so much that he's (laughs) like crushes the card and he's like saturnine we need to have a word basically (laughs)
10: And lo and behold, there is his lover
11: Yep (laughs) She's like, come hither, I'll show you everything She's like, hey, you know what You thought you could bully your way into everything But I had to invite you into my castle (laughs) So
4: Even though we already know who all ten sword bearers are, I still like stopped and spent like twenty minutes reading these and trying to match them up. Right. Pog your pog obviously being the easiest, but uh um, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> I, wonder
5: I wonder which pog one that was. Pog right? In
4: your pog, pog. But pog your pogs, pog, then in your pogs. pog's. <laughs> like that one's for death, right? <laughs> um, Oh
6: my god.
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ilyana's going to stick it in your pogs pog in a couple issues, but... um.
6: Mm-hmm. Oh my god, no, we, yeah. We got
4: the prophecies, which were so much fun. Then we mm-hmm. uh, get the four horsemen. We see mm-hmm. that it is Pestilence who is mm-hmm. playing the role of Polaris here. Pestilence was given the information to set up the circle and recite the prophecies. Mm-hmm. Um, Pestilence joins them together. Summoner is playing the role of Ileana, first one super excited to bring their sword and spend three days waiting around, Mm -hmm. then Annihilation shows up. Mm -hmm. And we learn who's really the boss here. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing else matters, I don't want to hear your opinions, go get me the blades, bring me their bearers. Mm -hmm. And now we get what I thought was quite fun, the four horsemen kind of doing clerical work, running around, (laughs) you know, trying to, like, get people... And our first one is Summoner. Now, this is why I said that I don't think all of Arako was behind this, because we see Summoner going to get Redroot, our Krokoan yeah. duck, the voice of Arako. Mm-hmm. And Red Root's telling Summoner, Arako's not happy with you. You came to us, begged for a piece of Arako to bring to Krokoa which mm-hmm. cleared up some confusion I had about what actually went on in X-Men 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Summoner, you promised, you gave hopes of reunification, and you return with what? The promise of more violence. You come back, and now we all have to get into a fight and get bloody because of you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my like, God, yeah. Redroot and Arako were obviously not like, Summoner was kind of plotting and scheming around Arako here. Like, the eye oh, yeah, of
8: yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I feel like all the Four Horsemen and everything are planning like around Arako's actual like intentions. So Arako doesn't want to fight; they just want to go back to Krakoa and be unified again and just, you know, be happy. But the mm-hmm. other ones are like, nah, we're violent and we want to rule and y'all are weak, so we're going to destroy you."
6: Yeah, like, like honestly, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that they pair up um, uh, Warlock and Doug versus Red Root, because that might be the one that's not a sword fight. Oh, mm. uh, I
4: have, oh, there's going to be some sword fighting in that, just not uh, the deadly kind. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, some True.
6: I've got some thoughts on Red Root and Doug. Um, yeah, but like, oh man, yeah, that, that you could, oh it was so beautifully drawn. Oh, yeah. And the artwork yeah. was so well done that you could read just the way Red Root fell. You could feel. How the the land of Aracco felt, and it was so beautifully done. you could tell that they were like, you straight up lied you're you you're hurting the land, you're hurting me, you've lied, but I'm in the position where I have to be on this council. Or, 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 you know, as a contestant, but I don't want to, because I don't like you, and I know that you're steering us towards bad things, but Red Root knows that if they don't show, it's going to be even worse. Yep. Yeah
8: i mean that's basically i mean that's how we know krakoa is just like Oraku that both Mm -hmm. have mutants coming together they don't necessarily like each other but they Mm -hmm. work together anyway just for the you know quote-unquote greater good
4: Mm -hmm. oh yeah Uh, and it's it's a great there's so many great parallels to red root and doug here not just that they're both the voice of the island but Mm -hmm. that um they both care for the island like they're both Mm -hmm. neither of them want to be in this fight but they're going to be anyway yes. um oh yeah and the way they sit like the way they have their little nest up near the face <laughs> and like just the it's very similar that in, bisexual like...
6: stance <laughs> <laughs> i love
8: it i i absolutely love it i mean that's why i, I do think they'll probably get together i I mm-hmm. was hoping Doug was going to die, but um, maybe he <laughs> won't. <laughs> I don't I wanted Doug to die so we get a new Doug, and it'd be, and and, the, and then Warlock would go crazy. But, you know, maybe maybe not. But we do know that Warlock is going to be on his own in, in the new new Mutants, so I don't know, maybe. <laughs> 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 or maybe like, him and oh I, maybe Doug and Red Root fuse together. Who knows? Like, like like literally like cuz she's like they are she, he, they, I don't know. Um she, are are Maybe she um, are a plant, essentially. Yeah. I'm assuming at least are plant based, so they could maybe fuse together with Doug and just like kick Warlock out of his body. Like, nah, you did. You can
4: technology Here's versus one of the organic. Things, right? What happened? What... Hmm? Go ahead. What? <laughs> We're trying to kick this around or figure out like what it means. Like, there's a lot of like there's a lot we don't know about how this is going to end or what it's going to be. We know that there's Mm -hmm. going to be something messed up with death and the way people come back. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. what if the way this is resolved and the outcomes, like, I feel like there's got to be some sort of way that it brings these characters in, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, what if Doug dies and is resurrected as another fallen, a fallen Arakan? Like, what Uh if that's how get a personalities coming into Krakoa. Mm-hmm. That'd be you interesting. World resurrections.
6: That
8: would be definitely interesting. I didn't think about that. Maybe.
6: Well, honestly, in my mind, Red Root is about the only uh, participant that I could see doug and warlock being able to defeat but i think overall i think the two of them would want to talk and figure out the best solution and then from there whoever needs to will concede the fight
5: I that's a Yeah.
7: That. Yeah. I love the design of Red Root. I'm really excited to, you know, see more. This whole section of the book that we're getting into got me really excited um to to learn more about all of the characters. It really made me kind of reevaluate like what I think is gonna happen because I, I there are so many of these characters that I wanna see going forward. And I'm really hoping that it's not like death is the ultimate, like the decider for the for the entire battle like I want like just like you're saying I want Red Root and Doug to, to talk it out and find a different you know solution you know there are so many different um, personalities that I'm excited to to hopefully continue uh, after X of Swords is done so I just want more
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes I was surprised how much I loved all of these characters like mm-hmm. because it is not X-Men history has a bad track record of, like, introducing new bad guy armies groups that are all just... <laughs> Horrible. <bunch> <laughs> fuck. Like, right. I mean, the Marauders, and the Reavers, and the Nasty Boys, and the Dark Riders, <laughs> and the... Uh, like, and you get forget like which one was, you know, gorgeous George on and which was Bonebreaker or whoever, like it doesn't matter because there's no there's nothing to any of them. But yeah. these Arabics, like I know all ten by name now. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I know,
8: yeah, all they're person. I like
4: all of them. Like I would yeah, they're they're all fascinating. Next up we get pogger. Pogger oh, Pogger!
8: That's oh, the one that's definitely oh. swept the internet. That one has swept who the whole entire internet.
4: Your pod, who has caused <laughs> your pod? being a giant crocodile pirate who speaks in poetry?
8: Not I. <laughs> well,
4: it was funny because it reminded
6: me of Sobek, the the Egyptian god, Sobek. I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's a dragon. You are ocean. Our it's a
4: resident an <laughs> <anthropologist laughs> Raven, so... <laughs> <laughs> like
6: yeah. So Sobek is, is the crocodile god in, in Egyptian mythology. And when I saw them step out of that cave, I'm like, Oh, Christ on sale. That's a that that's that's a dragon that can wield a sword and it kinda of looked like an Egyptian god. Oh man, this is <laughs> Ooh. but yeah, like Oh my God, they hired, they hired. It wasn't even a, Hey, this is a political scheme or, Hey, we've got this really great deal going on. It's like, Hey, we'll pay you. It's like, what you, you brought in a Merc, a non mutant Merc.
4: Are you kidding? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it until right now. I don't necessarily know that Annihilation wants all of the Iraqis to win. Yeah. Like, maybe Annihilation doesn't want to pay, pay Pogger. I um, think <laughs> Annihilation definitely does not want to pay uh, the White Sword, who we're mm-hmm. going to see in a few pages.
8: No, the mm. line, they want the White Sword to die, definitely. They hate the White
5: oh, yeah.
4: Sword.
8: But oh,
5: yeah.
4: uh,
8: I, didn't, I didn't even connect it that Pog, your Bog... And um, Brian are the only non mutants in the mm-hmm. whole thing. I didn't even catch that. They both have one non mutant on both sides. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good parallel. <laughs>
6: <laughs> but yeah, oh my god, yeah, that's uh, they hired a dragon. They hired a freaking dragon, crocodile dragon, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> right. Well, because I mean, it look at the payment. It was it was just a sack full of jewels, and they're like, eh, it's not really enough money for me." And they're like, "Look, we got an entire world that you can plunder to your heart." content, all you got to do is show up and win.
5: It's like, You're like yay! <laughs> right?
6: it's like, oh my god, what are you, oh jeez. So yeah, that could be that could be really interesting, and I kind of want to know who they are going to be up against.
4: Well, Magic, yeah. There have been three fights okay. that were explicitly announced by Marvel on their Twitter page.
6: Oh, okay. Is
4: Liliana, Bay is oh, fighting okay. Cable, and Iska is fighting Betsy. Those are the only three that oh. Marvel has explicitly announced ahead of time. Okay, that could be interesting.
5: Yeah,
8: Betsy gonna die.
4: <laughs> yeah, which is why we've already started preemptively pouring one out for Betsy. <laughs> yeah,
6: I mean, uh, hmm. I mean... Hmm, hmm, she don't lose, Esca
8: don't lose, y'all, and yeah. like, she... <laughs>
6: but yeah, like, anytime you make a claim of being the unbeaten, well, that's my power, the unbeaten, you know what, your powers only go so far. And I'm not saying that Betsy is going to win, but I'm saying Betsy is going to hurt her like hard because I'm looking at Betsy's kind of like her long back history of, you know, mind fragging and, uh, you know, taking over bodies and, and getting hopped around and whatnot. So like, yeah, I don't think Betsy is necessarily going to win, but I think she's gonna hurt Iska in ways that she had not quite uh, thought of.
7: Oh, definitely. She's going to be putting up a fight for sure. And you know, yeah. on the subject of Iska, you know, it makes me also kind of wonder, you know, she's betrayed and switched sides before. Is that something you mm-hmm. might see in the competition where the tide is going towards Krakoa and all of a sudden she's team Krakoa? Mm. Because it might be. Then her power, you know, her power's still working for her. <laughs> you know, she's unbeaten going with the, uh, the winning side.
6: It's going to be an interesting fight if nothing else. Bay? Bay, Blood Moon. Yeah. Oh, uh, the design
8: of her. Of them. They're really cool. I mean, yes. uh, the, the huge sword, the fact that she, they're, they're, they're just like, yeah, let's go. I have men to kill. They're like, I don't have time to really discuss it with you. You said I could kill somebody, so let's just go kill them.
4: Some of y'all like Bay. In my opinion, <laughs> I look at them. Bay feels, is one of the three that we know who's fighting. Bay's going to be fighting Cable. Bay <laughs> feels like the least important. Um, I I could be wrong. I mean, Pog Your Pog is obviously not important. I think Pog Your Pog is popular, but when you hear the interviews with, like, uh, Annalise Bissa or Teenie, it definitely sounds, you know, like they're a little exasperated with X fans. Like, of course you would love the stupid fucking crocodile. Like, we just made a big, dumb crocodile for Ileana to kill, and now you're going to be mad because you love him. Like, you fucking would. So I don't, I don't know the Poggers sticking around, but I, I don't know about Bay. Like, I would like to see Summoner die, but <laughs> I,
5: really I think we all
4: would. Bay okay. feels like the least. I mean, tell me I'm wrong.
8: You're wrong. I, I think, I think, I think both sides. <laughs> I'm, I'm Switzerland. I think both sides have um a points to it because they haven't given us enough of Bay, but Bay's mm-hmm. design looks so cool, and they mm-hmm. made her so like I don't know, just like kind of. Aloof, I guess not aloof, but like so. Beautifully
6: uh, nonchalant.
8: There you go. Beautifully nonchalant. That th- I feel like Bay might be one of those people, one of the characters that makes more of an impact later on.
5: hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, like the way that way Bay
8: is a feminist.
4: Girl. She just wants to kill men. Um... <laughs> there you go. Let's kill the men. That's all.